Well, welcome. Good to have everybody with us here today. I want to say welcome out to our Stone Canyon and Vergers campuses as well. Good to have you all with us. And definitely, I've got to say it, happy Mother's Day. Uh, I know you've been hearing that all morning, but there you go. There, there you get it from me as well. And uh, we are so glad that you're with us. I know family, kids come in for this. And so, if, again, if this is your first time with us uh, here to celebrate your mom or grandma, man, we're glad you're with us uh, today. Uh, you know, as we were preparing for this message months ago, uh, planning for Mother's Day, we, we kind of thought, you know, what, what topic would speak to moms? You know, we knew we were going to be in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and so we thought, man, what, 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 where's it going to land on the text? And, and so, man, it, it landed just where we wanted it. Today, we're talking about anger and murder. <laughs> Moms, you know, you're connecting with me. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, because you've all been there. <sighs> anger. Now, we did think about moving it ahead a week, um, but next week we're going to be talking about lust, adultery, and divorce. I decided I'd rather do anger and murder on Mother's Day than, than those. <laughs> but on a programming note, uh, next week we are going to be talking about uh, lust, adultery, and, and uh, divorce. And so uh, this is uh, just for parents of uh, little ones. It'll probably be an adult conversation. And uh, so make sure you've got them in their age-appropriate programming, uh, and uh, that way we can be in here and, and uh, cover God's Word where He leads us, all right? So uh, anyway, this week, uh, we're in Matthew chapter 5, and so if you want to get there, uh, that's where we're going to be here in just a second. Hey, we've been in this series last several weeks, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus is on the side of a mountain, there, therefore, Sermon on the Mount. I know, we're quick around here. And uh, he's got his disciples at his feet. He's got a crowd of people that have gathered around him. They are all there to listen to what Jesus has to say. And he delivers this message that has been considered to be the greatest sermon ever preached. We started off the series uh, where Jesus did, where he just lays out for us that we're called to be different. We talked about the Beatitudes, if you heard about those, and, and uh, the call there is that we, we're to be a different kind of people because we're part of a different kind of a kingdom with a different kind of a king, and so we're called to be different, called to live different. And then in the next week, Jared Parker came shared with us about uh, being salt and light. Not only are we to be different, but we're to make a difference by being the salt of, the, of this world, to be spicy, to bring some spice into this world, to be light, to, bring, to illuminate the world. And so we're supposed to make a difference. And then last week we talked about that if we're going to be different, if we're going to make a difference, then it's going to take us living up to a different standard, living by a different standard. And we talked about the the standard of God's Word, the authority of God's Word in our life, that we need to be living by God's Word. That's the call for, for every one of us is to live, strive to live up to the standards that He has given us in His Word. Well, from there, Jesus begins to kind of shift gears a little bit now that He's established kind of those first things, be a different, make a difference, and be live by a different standard. Now He begins to kind of show what this different kind of life looks like. If you're going to strive to live by, uh, to, to be righteous, is a word we've been throwing around a lot, then this is what it looks like in different ways. And he starts off really talking about relationships. And he starts off talking about anger and murder. Now, show of hands, how many of you have ever been angry? 
Get them up, all right? Yeah, every one of us, all right? We all fall into that, don't we? Uh, this is a message for every one of us. Now, me and my personality, all right, I'm, I'm laid back. If you know me very well, I'm, I'm pretty laid back. Matter of fact, in youth ministry, the kids used to joke, you had to hit Matt with a two-by-four to get him upset. But when I got upset, they knew it. <laughs> it's like, oh, get back. Yeah. He's going to blow um, maybe you're wired like that. Maybe you're laid back. It takes a lot to get you angry. Uh, maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum, and it doesn't take much. Boom, you're there. <laughs> it doesn't uh, take long for, for the fuse to get lit. Wherever you are, we all deal with anger. I remember uh, just last year, my son, Jaden, uh, he mows lawns in the summer. That's kind of his, his little job. And, and uh, up until this year, I always had to drive him everywhere. Praise God, he can drive. He can take himself around. But uh, up until last year, I'd drive him around. And so a lot of times, uh, whenever I would drive him to go mow somewhere, it didn't make sense for me to run back home and, and wait 15 minutes and drive back. I would just stay there, and I would help and make it go shorter. I'd edge trim, whatever for him. And one particular day, I'd done that. I think we did two or three yards that day and and we were driving back and I don't even remember what he said or what he did the attitude that he copped I don't know what it was but I lost it <laughs> I mean I was just Rah! you know I've gone to mode with you and I you know and I'm helping you and we get back and we back up to the shop and I get out and I go back I pick up the lawnmower and throw it out of the back of the pickup and I mean I'm just it was a push mower not a riding lawnmower by the way but I, I threw it down and because uh, I know some of you wonder anyway um, and bent the front wheel and uh, threw it in the shop and um, and he's kind of helping get other stuff in. He's like, oh, Dad's going to kill me. And uh, he gets in the pickup. He drives it around to the house. And, and, uh, and, and I'm back there by myself. I go in my shop, and I sit down in my man cave shop, breathe, and went, Matt, you're an idiot. <laughs> I mean, it just kind of hit me. You know, I was like, man, why did I lose it like that? And I had to go in the house and, and uh, tell Jaden I'm... I'm sorry, I, re I did not react the way I should have and, and apologized to him and, and went back out to the shop to fix the lawnmower and had to take the wheel off and get it, you know, straightened back up. And, you know, to this day, that, I never got that wheel totally straight. And every time I see that lawnmower and I see that front wheel, I remember when I lost it. You been there? Maybe it wasn't a lawnmower, but it was a dish across the room, a fist through a wall or a door, or, or just you unleashed a tirade on someone, probably somebody that you love dearly, but you remember. And you, you, you recall what feelings came through you, and you maybe recall the hurt that was caused that day. Every one of us have been there. And every one, of, every one of us has people in our life that are susceptible to being our targets, right? It, it can be our two-month-old baby that will not stop crying, to our aging parent that has uh, caused us to lose all patience, to the teenager in between that has copped the attitude, uh, students in our classes, uh, co-workers, bosses. You go down the list of people who have been on the receiving end of our anger. We've all been there, right? The Bible talks a lot about anger and how to handle anger. One of the, probably one of the most uh, known verses is over in the book of James where 
James is sharing over in verse 19. He says, verse one, chapter 1, verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James is saying, hey, uh, let's talk about kingdom life here. And if you're going to live a kingdom life, uh, you've got to be slow to anger. Because it doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires for us, the life that God desires for us, the kingdom kind of a life. We, we've got to guard against our, as he puts it, the anger of man. God exemplified uh, anger for us. You can read back through the Old Testament. A lot of times we can read about the character of God. And God on several occasions was, uh, was described as being slow to anger. I think it's a great description for all of us to maybe consider. You know, whenever you get anger, angry, it, uh, it doesn't just start at the mouth, does it? It, it usually starts way down deep. <laughs> it's kind of a guttural thing. It's like, oh, you know, it's building. And as it builds, it kind of comes up through our heart and we're, you know, starts to get our emotions wrapped into it. And then it comes up to our head and our intellect and we start to map out, you know, how we're going to, you know, deal with this, and, and then it comes out through our nose. Have you ever noticed the nostrils? You know, they're like flaring. You know, you, you've seen those people when the anger is boiling and the nostrils are going, it's like, hold back, get back, you know? When it says in the Bible that God was slow to anger, literally it means he was long of nose. God has a long nose, <laughs> But what it's saying is it took him a long, it takes him a long time for that anger to come out. He's a patient God. What an example for every one of us, and maybe we ought to strive to be long of nose. <laughs> now, somebody might ask the question, is all anger bad? Is all anger sin? Well, I think Paul addresses that over in Ephesians chapter 4 when he's talking about anger. He says this in verse 26 and 27 there in Ephesians 4. He says, be angry and do not sin. Your version might say, in your anger, do not sin. Uh, he goes on, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. He seems to be saying that there's going to be times of anger. But in those times of anger, do not sin Comparing it to what James says, he's talking about the anger of man. I believe there is something known as righteous anger. There are things in this world that ought to make us angry. When we see things happen in this world and seeing things that are being done to, to people, the innocent especially, that ought to make us angry. But in that anger, in those times of anger... We're not supposed to, to sin. We still need to uphold the lifestyle, the attitudes that God has, has called us to. Now, last week in our text, Jesus, uh, he kind of set us clear on, on this whole idea of, of righteousness and, and God's authority. And now he begins to set us clear on, uh, again, about righteousness, living this righteous life, but especially when it comes to our relationships with others and dealing with the anger that sometimes wells up and can go all the way to murder. All right. Now, um, some of you in here, uh, you know, you hear that and you think, well, I've never, I've never done that. <laughs> 
Good. <laughs> Let's keep it at that, okay? But that's where Jesus is taking us here. And he starts off with the current understanding of those who are listening to him that day. Again, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be spending our time here. Verse 21 is where we're going to start. Let's start right there. He says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. All right, you've heard it said, all right, this is what's been taught to you, that you're not supposed to murder, and that goes exactly with what the law says. Go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, you shall not murder, and and you go further and and go into Leviticus where there's more uh, given about that law and the judgment that is uh, to come upon you if you did murder somebody, and so he's saying, this is what you've been taught, but the language that Jesus says, he begins to, to... unpack this and get some clarification here he's not talking about the law itself but he's talking about the interpretation of that law you've been taught one way about this law you've been taught that it's all about the external righteousness that you that you didn't kill someone <laughs> you've kind of you're, you've kind of been told hey well as long as i didn't kill someone as long as i haven't plotted out somebody's death hey i'm okay so in that case we're all okay but he wants to go deeper than that he says this is what your religious leaders have told you it's all about externals let me take you deeper than that and he begins to take them internal let's talk about your heart let's talk about your emotions let's talk about your attitudes And so he begins to clarify the truth even a little bit more. Look at verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Again, Jesus is moving from the external to the internal. You heard it said, don't murder. But I'm telling you, and whenever he says that, Whenever he starts there by saying, but I say to you, he is saying, there is a distinction between what I'm going to tell you and what you've been told by the religious leaders. And I'm here to tell you something. It's what I'm saying to you today is authoritative. Listen up. He says there, if everyone who is angry with his brother, he's talking about, he begins by talking about those within this kingdom, our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's where he starts off with. If we're angry with one another inside this kingdom, then we are liable to judgment. It's not just about whether you killed somebody physically, but are you, do you have anger within you towards someone, especially somebody that's a part of this kingdom? How does anger play out? Jesus kind of gives us a little bit of an outline here of how anger does play out in our lives as, as we allow it to, to go out past our, our minds, our hearts, and we release it on somebody else. Uh, first thing that he talks about there, he says, uh, he talks about insults. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to, to counsel, to the council, have to go before the, the, the leaders face judgment. Remember in that day, they had the, the council, those, those that Jesus himself one day would stand in front of. And he says, you know what, even if you're angry, you, you deserve to go in front of the, the council for judgment. Your, your version may say, uh, if you call a brother Raka, 
insults, if you bring insults. The idea there is that you bring intense contempt upon somebody. You, you are devaluing them. Literally, it can be, mean something along the line of saying they have shallow brains. <laughs> you're a few bricks short of a load. You heard that? <laughs> you know, you're not the brightest bulb in the bunch, right? It says even that. You're devaluing someone and you're hurting that relationship. But he goes on. It goes from insults to, to name calling. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You fool, that terminology was often used for idolatry, uh, idolaters or, or those who had committed a, a high crime. And so, again, you're, man, you're cutting somebody deep by telling them that. And he says, for those who, who go that distance, you are liable to the hell of fire, literally Gehenna, a place outside of the city of Jerusalem where the dump, where, where things were continually burning there. It was often used as a, as a description of the inter, eternal punishment of those who, who don't know Christ. He would use that terminology just to paint a picture of what would be in store for a person who is under this judgment you're not just under man's judgment he says here no you are under god's judgment now i I think anger can play out in other ways i don't think jesus was giving us an exhaustive list here of, of how we deal with anger in our lives and maybe you can think of the ways that that it comes out in your life maybe it's that passive aggressiveness uh, that you have you know you remember you can talk to people about other people over here but when you get face to face it's a great day. But then, you know, I can do that. I know I've fallen into that trap, that passive-aggressive attitude. Sometimes it's the whole just withdraw, you know. It's just, I'm just going to get away from this, and that anger just wells up, and I'm just going to get out of this. And, and I like what Matt Chandler says whenever he talks about this. He says, it's almost as if you're trying to say, I'm going to remove my awesomeness from your presence. <laughs> That's how I'm going to get you. A lot, a lot of times it's in that withdrawal that we just bottle it up and we just try to keep it inside until one day, one day, when something totally unrelated causes it all to blow on whoever is in front of you and they receive the end, that end of it. Sometimes our anger can even move to the physical Uh, physical abuse or even emotional abuse and uh, when we don't deal with it we don't deal with it as we should and that's where we cross the line and we sin like Paul called us not to do see righteous anger should and does well up in us when we see something that was done against someone else or against our God. Unrighteous anger is when it wells up because something was done against us. Something was done to hurt us. Often it's when our pride is hurt. (laughs) Or maybe sometimes it happens whenever we have the shame of sin in our life. Kind of funny how this works. We have a specific sin and shame of sin in our life. And when we see that same sin in somebody else, we want to lash out at them. 
when we ourselves deal with it. Maybe the anger is towards the sin, but it sure does look like the anger is against the person who's dealing with that same sin that we do. We all deal with anger. Russell Colts, a psychologist, he said this about anger. He said, anger makes us feel powerful. It's hard to let it go at times because we like to feel powerful. And so because of that, because of that power, it's like, yes, I'm dominating in this situation. And we, so we embrace the anger and we destroy another person or we destroy a relationship because we like the power. Now you can insert your own context into this. I don't know where your brain is going right now, where your mind is going. Maybe you're thinking of situations at work. Maybe you're thinking of situations at home, situations in your own marriage, in your own family. But I have a feeling that every one of us, as we think through this, we've got circumstances that are running through our minds where anger has destroyed a relationship. Jesus goes on. He wants to explain more. Verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus I think he's identifying what many in the church, in this kingdom, try to do. We, we, try, to, we try to involve ourselves in religious uh, activity in order to help uh, cover up the anger or emotions that we're dealing with. We, we run here to try to get vertical with God in our relationship with Him and at least try to fix that relationship. As long as I'm good with God, I'm not going to worry about all the people down here. And, and, uh, and Jesus seems to be addressing that here. When you, when you go to the altar and then you realize, have you ever, have you ever stepped into church and a name or a circumstance just keeps on coming to mind. You see, I, here's what I think he's getting at. We try to get vertical with God, but at the same time, God pushes back. <laughs> he says, well, wait, wait. If you want to get right with me, you've got to get right with those. You remember what Jesus said whenever he was asked, what are the most important commandments? Love God. The second one is just like it, love your neighbor. And so sometimes whenever we come to this place and we are in authentic worship, when we're, we're truly trying to connect with, with, with our God, he pushes back. He says, I, I need you to go and I need you to go deal with this. I need you to go fix this relationship. These unreconciled relationships, this unreconciled brother that you need to go and, and deal with. Look at verse 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and, and the judge to the guard, and, and then you be put in prison. He moves from talking about a brother in the kingdom to an accuser. 
He says, now, when you're, when you're dealing with an accused, somebody who has something against you, you've done something wrong now. And so at this point, you need to do everything that you can to go and fix this relationship. You see, in all this, I hope what we're starting to hear, what you're starting to hear is this. Jesus is serious about restoring relationships. That's what he's wanting us to be about. He, He says, quickly go to them and deal with this and bring restoration to this relationship. He goes on, verse 26, truly I say to you, you will never get out of prison. He just said, you're going to go to prison. If you don't get this fixed, you're going to go to prison. And truly I say to you, truly I say to you, when he says that, he says, this is authoritative, truly, listen, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus flips things here. He says, look, if you're going to try to live up to this external righteousness, if, if you're going to try to, do, uh, to be right in everything, even in your anger and relationships, if you're going to try to live up to that, you won't and you can't. And if that's what you're trying to base your salvation upon, you've only got prison in store for you. And you won't be able to repay the debt. The debt that's already been paid. But the call is still there. As kingdom people. To do all that we can to restore these relationships that we have allowed to be broken. Quickly that we are to go and deal with them. Now I've got a question as we go through this. And I I wonder this. Why is Jesus so concerned about anger? As I, as I said earlier, he, he's, he's moving into this next part of the, of the text after we're to be different, we're to make a difference, we're supposed to live by a different standard, and now he moves into this next part where he starts talking about different types of relationships that get broken and that we need to fix, and that we need to, do, we need to live differently so they don't get broken. And, but he starts with anger. Why, why before everything else does he start with anger and with murder? Well, the obvious one we've been talking about is it destroys relationships. Anger undealt with and not dealt with with biblically destroys relationships. And again, God is all about relationships. Love God, love others. And so this unreconciled anger destroys these relationships. Interesting, if somebody's dealing with anxiety... People typically don't have a problem going to them and helping them, right? If somebody's dealing with fear, others typically don't have a problem going to them and helping them and giving them a peace in whatever situation to bring them fear. But if somebody is angry and hostile, people don't normally go to those people, do they? They run I don't want to have anything to do with that kind of a person. You see, anger, hostility, destroys relationships. God even speaks that over in Proverbs 22. Solomon there, giving some words of wisdom, says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. God himself says, you might want to stay away from these kind of people. 
Because <laughs> they might just rub off on you. You see, anger destroys relationships. Do you have unreconciled issues? Again, maybe you've already got a name in your head. Why did we come to church today? <laughs> do you have issues with that person? Did the first time that name pop into your head, did you immediately remember the hurt they caused or the circumstance that has caused the hurt in your life and the anger that you have towards them? Then you're still dealing with it. Would you help that person if you could? Do you have anger fantasies about them? You know what I'm talking about. Many of us could probably think about names of people that when we get out of the service, we need to go make a phone call, send a text, go knock on a door, and we need to do what we just heard earlier. Quickly, we need to go to them. Because anger has destroyed a relationship, and God wants it restored. But uh, maybe another reason that he wants to deal with this very quickly is, uh, is this. It destroys the testimony. Anger destroys the testimony. Year, this years ago in ministry, um, I was at a church, and uh, we were out in the foyer after service, uh, actually between services, so we had a lot of people coming and going and everything, and, and it was me, and there was two other ministers beside me here, and uh, they started getting an argument. I was like, whatever. But then the argument started to get louder. And again, we have people. I mean, there's people. Church people, guests, you know, and they started getting, they were, they were arguing. I'm pretty laid back, all right? Told you that. But I started to get a little heated. <laughs> I'm like, what are these guys? And so I walked over to them and gently grabbed both their shoulders and said, fellas, this is not the time or the place. And gently, I push them apart, gently. Now, did, that, did they need to have that discussion? Yes, it needed to be done, but not there, because in my mind, all I'm thinking is, oh, great, we have guests coming in, and they see that these are two of our guys on staff, and they're going to think, well, this is a great church. <laughs> We're going to come back here. I'm thinking about the testimony of the church. When we don't deal with our anger correctly, biblically, we are endangering the testimony of the church and ultimately the testimony of Jesus. Because people in your life, co-workers, people in your family, they know you and they know you're a Christian. And they're watching and they're watching to see how you respond to situations and circumstances. They're watching to see how you respond when they know that you're getting angry. Oh, he's getting angry. Let's watch. Let's see what happens. Protect the testimony. Over in that Ephesians text we talked about earlier, where talked about we need to be 
quick to bring resolution. Verse 29, he says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. Here it is. That it may give grace to those who hear. Is what's coming out of your mouth, even in times of anger, is what's coming out of your mouth, building up people who are listening Does it bring grace to them? (laughs) He goes on, verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we get angry and we just let it rip, we are not emulating the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we read about over in Galatians 5. Are we love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control? Those typically aren't the words that people describe us by when we go on our rant, Right? Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And here it is, here it is. As God in Christ forgave you. Do you struggle with anger? Is there somebody that you need to go to to bring reconciliation to today, this week? You see, so often we don't feel like the people that we're thinking about deserve it. They're not worth our effort to go fix this relationship. But my question is, were you worth it when Jesus did the same thing for you? As God in Christ forgave you. We don't deserve his grace. He set the example. When there was a division, a broken relationship between us and him, he said, I'll come to you. And Jesus came. And he brought us salvation. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows us his love, his, shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The, 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 but he came to us. Go to verse 10. He says, while we were still enemies, he came to us. That was the move he made, and that's the move that he expects of us, those of us who are part of his kingdom. You remember the beatitude? Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. That's the kind of people we're supposed to be. Different. Merciful. Here's what I want you to grab hold of, the statement. Restoration is what God pursues with us and what we are to pursue with others. Did you hear that? Restoration is what God pursues with us. That's what he wants to do. Maybe you're here today and you don't know him. There's still a broken relationship between you and him. He so badly wants to restore that, and he's doing everything to speak into your life to to draw you to him. But then, once that's reestablished, he says, now go do likewise. Bring restoration to the other relationships in your life, the horizontal relationships, people in your family. Maybe there's family members that you need to try to do all you can to bring restoration to. Maybe it's coworkers. Uh, I don't know who it is. But he says, go do likewise to bring restoration to restore those relationships, and to protect the testimony 
of who Jesus is. Do you know what the opposite of anger is? Love. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the kind of people we're supposed to be. People who strive to do all we can to love others. Even the ones that drive us nuts, we love them. Even the ones that make us so mad, we love them. We love them so much that we'll do anything we can to bring restoration to those broken relationships. That's the kind of people he's calling us to be. Father in heaven, help us to love others. Help us to be a church that loves others. Help us to be a community like we've been talking all year. Help us to be a community where everyone is welcome because we all understand that none of us are perfect. But anything is possible in you. You can change anyone. You can even change us. So God, continue to lead us, grow us, guide us through this life that we might be different the way you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.